Today's episode of Idle Weekend is brought to you by Zipcar. Earn $25 of free driving credit at joinzipcar.com slash weekend. Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This weekend, we're talking about what other gaming podcasts talk about all the time, what we've been playing. So Rob, why don't you start us off with what you have been enjoying lately? Oh my god, there's just too much, <laughs> like, in my gaming rotation for us <laughs> to do a topic this week. There's just, uh, the, the, the bounty is too great. Yes. Uh, it is, it is an amazing time right now. Like, it is, I can't even believe how good the sort of AAA games have been lately. That's, that's true. not usually my experience. I'm not playing experience. anything remotely topical. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's okay, um, too. To a degree, to a degree. All my gaming right now is tied to the current crop of games. It's just, I'm getting caught up or changing things. So, um, like, let's just start what I was doing, doing today. Uh, so, I finally finished Uncharted 3. Okay. What'd you think? Uh... It did not get me hype for Uncharted 4, uh, let me just say. like, I was surprised at how weak this one felt, uh, and I'd spent a lot of that game not really understanding why it had sort of a downer reputation among people who are into the series. Like, why was this the bad one? Because I would say for a good portion of that game, like, yeah, it maybe didn't have the highs of Uncharted 2, uh, which I kind of view as the the perfect like blockbuster action movie of of video games. Yeah. But it just sort of felt like it fizzled out. Like Yeah. And then it just had to end. <laughs> uh it felt like a lot of the characters are just kind of discarded. For the first act of that of that game, the first two acts of that game, the the thing that's sort of driving the the character arc at least is the fact that all Nathan Drake's friends are abandoning him. Mm. You know, the game sort of starts out with the game starts out with the crew so the gang being back together, right? It's Sully, it's Chloe, it's Jason Statham type character yeah, whoever yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> um but that that's sort of what the, that's that's what's what's going on and then very quickly one by one, all the people around Drake sort of have these moments where it's like, I think this has gone far enough. We need to, we need to bow out. This is, this is crazy. And Drake is kind of there saying, no, no, we can just one more, yeah, just one more dungeon, <laughs> one more, mm-hmm. one more tomb. And he kind of can't stop and, and won't stop. And then you encounter Elena and she's very much in the same place where, you know, this is why they're not together anymore, right? That he's, uh, basically like, compelled to do this stuff. Uh, and I thought that was actually great. I thought that was a great direction for the character. Um, sort of builds on some of the things that were brought up in, in the second game. And then in the third act, it kind of feels like Uncharted 3 is like, ah, but you know, isn't Drake just fun? Isn't, isn't looting <laughs> old temples and lost cities just, just the best thing? Let's, who cares about all that? It's been great. And then there's kind of at the very end, sort of a, a hand wavy, like, oh, but everything's fine. Drake has learned his lesson and they lived happily ever after. So I'm, 
I was playing it basically because I really wanted want to play Uncharted Four, which does look like it has some interesting, like you know, Thief's End, right? Is the subtitle yes. like it, it? It seems like it has the. It, it seems like it might be the conclusion that I was hoping Uncharted Three would be. Uh, but have you played? Uh, have you? I yeah, no, I've actually not played much of any of the games until four. I've kind of dabbled in all of them. I think I, I I played a little tiny bit of two and three and thought, hey, these, these are cool. They're fun. I see the appeal, but I didn't get, for whatever reason, I guess maybe just the timing didn't work out for me. Because, you know, I like this kind of game. I love the new Tomb Raider games. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's the style that that was an issue. But I've been really enjoying four. For sure. And and not even, you know, I didn't know that much about the character. I obviously know, you know, I watch any cutscene that, that Claudia Black is in. So I know a little bit about kind of what's going on in the background. But, you know, in the most ridiculous way where I'm just like, I just I just want to hear her voice. I don't really care, you know, about Drake. It's fine. He's fine, I guess. He and his untucked shirt or whatever. Half tuck, um, please. Had the half tuck. Right, of course, the half tuck. How could I, how could I ever mistake the half tuck. The signature, the signature <laughs> half tuck. It's, it's, it's like, funny. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is the sign. It's just like the signature hat of what's his face. The you know, he's like using guy. garment tape under, underneath that shirt, totally, right? Like Drake's totally. like, all right, I gotta look like sort of like I half care about my parents, but half not. So, all right, let me just, let me just tuck this. Let, let me, me just tuck this, this and tape it to my belly. Let me get it just right. We actually, this is hilarious. When we got our copy of the game, it came with a Drake statue, a like, you know, foot long, whatever Drake statue, and it broke <laughs> as soon as we took it out of the box. Like the legs fell off, and it was this very like, oh, it's the half tuck and the half man. It was very yeah. build it was quality, incredible. Um, but but I am, I have to say, I am really, really enjoying the fourth game. Um, just even as someone who's a, never invested in the series, exactly. Like you know, I can recognize that the story is, you know, it, it is a very well crafted, cinematic, you know, kind of game, and I can appreciate that. I I don't care that much about the narrative itself or the characters themselves, but I'm I'm happy to go along with it if that makes hmm. sense. And I'm most happy to just be in these really gorgeous places, jumping around and climbing on things because that's what's fun for me. That's what I liked so much about the most recent Tomb Raider games. It's just fun to explore these gorgeous, ridiculous worlds where you can kind of, you know, spelunk and explore and solve little puzzles and, and so on and so forth. So, and I'm also definitely, so, you know, my girlfriend's playing the game and I'm playing bits and pieces of it, but I'm also, um, this is what happens with us. She's much better at certain kinds of games and I'm better at certain kinds of games. And whenever there's a puzzle, she pretty much hands me the controller and says, well, go ahead and figure it out. This happened this week with both Uncharted 4 and Fallout 4, which is always fun and kind of a weird but fun way of, of experiencing bits and pieces of games here and there and saying like, oh okay I see what's up with this very nice <laughs> what else have you what else have you been playing it sounds like there's a lot on your plate right now well I, so in, in keeping with my I need to get ready to play the next installment of a series yes uh, I've been playing a lot of the Banner Saga uh, oh, and nice. I've been, I've fallen into a really good routine with that. Uh, I, I work for about 30 minutes and then I take a little like 20 minute, uh, battle break, uh, with, with Banner Saga. And then I work for like another hour and then take another little break. Um, and I'm enjoying it a lot more. I've, I've, I've grokked the combat system a lot more than I did the, the first time through. Like I, I've really, uh, started to take advantage of the turn, the way turn order is decided in that sure. game and the way you've got to chip 
characters down, but not necessarily kill them off. Uh, and I think that's actually really novel, even if it doesn't really make sense. There's, there is a bit of a problem there, right? You, like, you played this game. Yes. Like, it's weird because it is a game that punishes you for taking out enemies. Yeah. And it, that it is, it is a sort of quirky combat system for sure. Yeah. Cause, like, if you kill an enemy, then the chances are what you just killed was a weakened character who would have taken an action slot. And in that character's place will be an enemy who maybe isn't as damaged. And so they will hit with, with full force. And now because there's one fewer character to cycle through in order, because it goes, it always goes like you go, then they go, then you go, then they go. Um, they, they have to cycle through their entire squad no matter what. Right. And if you can fill that squad with weakened characters, then they can have like three or four turns where basically nobody can do anything meaningful, right? Yeah. And then you can really clean house. And that's actually it's it's cool because it introduces the sort of like the, the sort of puzzle element to to the tactics in that game and, and makes it play differently and less repetitively than a lot of other tactics games where you know, I think we've all played a, a ton of versions of the game where where you basically like pick the weakest person, mm. shoot or attack them until they're gone, and then move on to the next more, most difficult character. Right? You gang up, destroy, and whittle people down that way. Banner Saga forces a completely different problem on you, uh, and and this time I've really embraced that, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. Uh, still a beautiful game, still a gorgeous uh, you know art style, still a wonderful story and, and soundtrack. Um, and I'm still having massive problems with the way that that economy goes. Like I sure, even sure. knowing how that game works, I'm still having trouble in the end because I still wasn't aggressive enough. I still leveled up too many characters, and because you have to pay for leveling up characters, you have to spend from a collective pool of experience, and only like five six characters can come into the battle at a time. Really, what you want to do for the end game is have the five characters you've built up available and then you're puni- like you are punished if you if you put any points in anybody else because they're not going to be useful at yeah. the end you don't need them and that's really really frustrating to sort of be here at the end of the game and realize like well I'm not going to have many more experience gaining opportunities this is just it yeah. and I think I built my party slightly wrong still and that's going to make it really unpleasant yeah, I lucked out when I played that game and, and had built things, you know, just happened to be, you know, enough points into the character that you sort of need to have a certain amount of points into to even really be able to beat the game without, you know, kind of making one mistake or two mistakes, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I remember that being a huge frustration with that game as well. Man, I I want to revisit it as well. It's been, you know, it's been a couple of years and, of course, the sequel yeah. <laughs> is here. And so... Well, yeah, I'm dying yeah. to know what happens next, right? Yeah. But but first, I've got to make sure I get the ending that. Well, it's not going to be an ending I want, but it'll be an ending. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm really excited to see like what happens next because that that first game doesn't end with anything really being resolved. It ends with you know things are things still look pretty dire for that world. Um, yeah. And a lot of those characters are still at the start of their journey. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into the second one. Potentially even more dire than when things began, actually, since it's that big revelation about kind of what's really going on with the enemy. So, yeah, God. Um, Continuance of the Banner Saga. I can't wait for that as well. Yeah. Are you going to make time for Banner Saga, too? I will. Yes. I really, really did enjoy that first game, even though, again, I'm, you know, 
uh, not the most tactical thinker in the world, but I, I had so much fun with it. And I, I appreciated, you know, how streamlined everything was. It's not that mm-hmm. it's a simple, you know, system necessarily, but it is streamlined to the point where I can pay attention to everything and keep track of everything as a, as a, you know, filthy casual. That's very helpful <laughs> for someone like right. me, for sure. And actually speaking of being a filthy casual, I, I can't even believe this, but, I have spent pretty much all of my gaming time in the last week on two super, super polished, you know, AAA first-person shooters. Doom, which we already talked to death, yeah. uh, which, you know, we don't have to anymore, I don't think. Um, but Doom and Overwatch, which finally came out uh, this week. And man alive, am I enjoying Overwatch. <laughs> Again, it is something we talked about before, so my opinion hasn't, you know, changed radically by any means. But I've actually started to get a little bit better at it, which is wonderful. And weirdly enough, the character I'm doing the best with, like by far, far, far and away, is a sort of tank support character. It's Zarya, the pink haired, super buff Russian lady Mm -hmm. uh, who plays, you know, she looks like a a tank, but she's actually sort of like a support tank, which is interesting and awesome. And, you know, I played several matches last night, you know, it's... um, as her and you know i was playing and playing and playing and you know i've played quite a bit of this game and i and i'm you know garbage at it uh you know i die all the time i'm not the best shot i you know not really an fps wizard not great at this sort of stuff fortunately overwatch is a game where only a full a few characters really reward accurate (laughs) shooting that's definitely true and that helps (laughs) um i just really appreciate that this game you know, you can go in and get your hands dirty and you don't feel like you're awful and sad. And, you know, the way a lot of shooters do, you know, I will play every Call of Duty, you know, to play on them. And, you know, I'll put a little bit of time into the multiplayer. But after like an hour or two, I'm just like so discouraged that I'm like, okay, I did what I had to do. But with this, I'm like, no, no, it's cool. I can try another character. I can try another character. And then something really clicked playing as Zarya, and I was sort of getting to the point where I'm only dying like once or twice a match. So and hang, on, hang on, so, so yeah. talk because it's been ages since I played Zarya. Sure. Um, and the way I remember playing her was I was actually able to hang back a little bit and like sort of plank shots and be effective. Like I wasn't yes. like wiping anyone out, but I was chipping damage subtly. And then I remember my powers were pretty useful. That I was able to like bring those out at key moments, but I don't remember what those were exactly. So like, how does how does Zarya work these days? Why why are you grooving so hard on Zarya? Well, I think I'm grooving so hard because it's sort of like both a support character, but it's not like oh a medic where you just have to sort of run in and be close to people. Like I can hang back behind my team and I can be sort of throwing shields up on them because she has sort of a her her. I forget if it's L1 or R1, whatever it is. But you can sort of throw a shield around any any of your teammates who's close enough. And you don't even have to be pointing, you know, super, super directly. You can just be close enough to them. Throw shields, throw shields, throw shields. Her sort of left trigger is a little explosive, you know, whatever. I'm sure there's some sci-fi explanation for it. But it's like a little small explosive. And her right trigger is actually like a really powerful laser beam. So you can always be sort of wearing down on an enemy's shields, which is super, super useful. And her gun is super powerful. And she is a tank, so she has like 800 hit points, uh, as opposed to a lot of the characters who have like 500 or in the 300s. So she can take a lot of damage and a lot of punishment, kind of use her bulk to, to just buff everybody and shield everybody and just be throwing garbage at the enemy. And it's wonderful. And her special move is the best thing ever, which is this sort of 
God, I graviton pulse or something. She basically throws a, a, a bomb into the middle of the battlefield and it sort of stuns everybody in the vicinity and holds them there for a few seconds. So you can do that and then bomb the crap out of them or, you know, your other teammates can sort of bomb the crap out of everybody or shoot the crap out of everybody. Right. I remember that. That's what I was basically oh, doing. So I, was, I was hanging back until that was charged. And then, like, I just hold it until it looked like we were about to lose control of a choke point or a capture point. Yes. And then I would just be like, all right, pop it. And there it hopefully is. hopefully the teammate, hopefully enough people were still alive, we could clean house really quickly. <laughs> uh, it was it was real good. Yeah, it's so satisfying. I really, really love playing this way. I didn't, I, I don't know. And, you know, again, as a as a noob, filthy casual, whatever term you want to use for somebody who sucks at uh, first person shooters, especially team based FPSs, like, it's really kind of special to find like what I'm better at and be like, oh, I can be helpful. And it's not just sort of healing everybody because that's sort of what I thought. Oh, I'll just heal everybody. That'll be my thing. And I like being a Lucio or Lucio for that purpose because that's pretty fun. I, I do enjoy sort of running around with him and healing. But this is a way I feel like I can actually be useful in a way that's not just, oh, here, have some buffs. It's more like. I'm shielding you, my friends. Come, <laughs> yes, <laughs> come I'll under my you. hot, yeah. giant muscle wing. Like it's, it's I, actually I that, really satisfying. Yeah, I think that is something that I'll be very curious to see the arc of this game. This game over time, because I also do feel like I understand the criticism I'm seeing from some people that the shooting's just too loose, right? If you're if you're like heavily in the shooters, like if if you sort of like the way the tightness of a CSGO or something derived from Quake. Sure. Yeah. This is not going to that's not going to, this is not going to scratch that itch. Uh <laughs> even the even the more like um reflex shot based characters are still a little I, I think may, maybe a little flabby in, in in the way they move. But that that aside though, I think Blizzard's made a bet here, right? That ultimately they're trying to make a shooter for people who don't necessarily play team shooters right because they already have their games this is like how can we find characters that will express other people's play styles yes. in the format of a team shooter which i think is really interesting um sadly i i think one thing that's chasing me off overwatch right now is the <laughs> fact that like bastion and soldier 76 are like my best characters and i oh. feel like it's like discovering you're the most basic, vanilla, <laughs> dullest person, right? Like, it's just yeah. so depressing to be like, oh, I'll try someone else. I'm going to see if I'm good with D.Va. No, I'm not good with D.Va at all. <laughs> so back to Soldier 76 and me oh. sort of like peeking out from behind a pillar and like gunning people down. So I, I think like right now, I think I can't play I can't play Overwatch <laughs> until I figure out a way to do something more interesting than basically like read the geometry of a map and just like park my ass somewhere and gun yeah. people down. Yeah, it's, I, I can understand that. And I can understand people getting frustrated with sort of the, um, you know, like, like at least in the beta, Bastion was super ridiculously overpowered and it's still to a degree kind of overpowered. And I'm sure they'll fix that and there'll be 500 patches a day until everything is, is perfectly balanced. And to Blizzard's credit, they've done a great job kind of making something that feels fairly balanced, at least again, to a, to an amateur. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's funny because Soldier 76 is also kind of like, deliberately boring i yes. feel like like with his fiction and the whole backstory like oh, yeah. these He's are literally the soldier characters. 76 yeah 
Yeah, like, he's supposed to be Mr. Generic, and every other character has this, like, wild backstory. Like, Zarya was a an Olympic weightlifter who, like, was going to go for the gold, but then whatever disaster happened, and so she decided to, you know, instead of lift up a weight, lift up a gun. It's like this whole hilarious, you know, sort of goofy fiction to the world, which I also kind of appreciate. And this is something that's funny, because I don't usually... You know, there's something I talked about a lot when I was on Idle Thumbs, which is the sort of neo-endearment crew on Twitter of people who like kind of cute things and fun things and and sweet things, which, again, I am certainly part of. But, you know, I would always kind of talk about it like, oh, yes, you know, the the folks who were obsessed with life is strange, you know, that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and Undertale and so on and so forth. And this for this game, I'm actually getting more into these actual like fun little goofy discussions about the characters and like, oh, who who would you date or whatever? Like this this whole sort of goofiness feels very, very supported by the game itself. Like the animation is really bright and colorful and, and positive and the whole tone is very sort of like positive and inclusive and it makes me feel like, oh, you know what? It's really fun. Like I can see why now why that people would get into these little characters and have fun with this and, and you know, make jokes about who went on a date with who and whatever you know, kind of adorable fan fiction-y things that happen. It's it's kind of great to see that in a in an FPS, I guess. It's it's something I'm not really used to and something that I'm I'm finding really kind of adorable and fun, which is pretty cool. Well, well something interesting is that it it does sort of like I always used to sort of like roll my eyes at that kind of like lore and backstory of stuff because sure, it's sure. like because really like what does the game actually require? Very little. Yeah. But increasingly, I'm starting to understand that I, I think in terms of both design and art direction. You actually do need this stuff a little yeah. bit because that, because thinking about a character that way can both in seems to like both encourage uh, play mechanics that maybe otherwise wouldn't have occurred to you without sort of putting it in a context that's interesting. And then certainly with art, yeah, it seems like you need to be able to like think about what sort of things would influence a character and then build them up that way, right? Rather than just go to making a pastiche of like, you know, anime meets like yeah. uh like 90s comics meets yeah, like stuff like that. Um so I, it, I am starting to sort of turn around I guess a little bit yeah, on like sure. um needless backstory and lore cuz increasingly I'm starting to wonder like well maybe it's not so needless, right? Like maybe yeah. the people who make the stuff actually do benefit from this from from this completely invisible backstory. It, it- I don't think it can ever hurt uh, unless it's, it's you know, completely the tone feels right. off or wrong. Like, I, I don't think it ever hurts to kind of have like, oh, there's, you know, character motivation for this sort of stuff. And I feel like it's enough in the background that you never have to care about it. But if you do care about it, there are all these tiny little touches and, and things that I really appreciate. Like, there's, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but like little little animations and things that are that are just kind of charming and wonderful. Like if you're playing D.Va and you can see her, you know, her thumbs yeah. move, you know, on the mech and it's like, oh, she's a pro gamer. So, of course, she'd move her hands super quick and, you know, cute, adorable little touches like that. I find them really, really charming. I think it's it's really cool. You know, I'm not going to go write to D.Va fan fiction or anything, but uh I- I think it's cool. I really think it's cool that it, this game is drawing in a lot of players that maybe wouldn't necessarily play this kind of game and are just having a lot of fun being in this sort of colorful, goofy world, which is always something I'm down for. So, yeah, yeah, I, I need to, I need to commit to it. I think uh, I, I need to bite the bullet and, and get on the bandwagon because I am, I am worried like I'm going <laughs> to miss the moment, right? Like if you, yeah. if you didn't play Titanfall in the first like three oh, weeks. God. 
Yeah. Like all your friends have stopped playing it, but you would have missed a pretty great team shooter. I still think that game was way better than people gave it credit for. By the, by the way, I, I think agree. that game fucking ruled. I, I still get mad about Destiny, you know, sort of piling away with, with all the, uh, you know, with, with all the mindshare, I guess. And it came out that same year and it wasn't as good. And, ugh, anyway, I, you know, again, not even a FPS diehard or anything or a shooter, you know, fan, but I, I still got mad about that because I was like, man, Titanfall had something new to bring to the table. It was cool. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, Titanfall, like speaking of like like Quake movement and stuff like that, Titanfall really did feel at times like somebody made Counter-Strike, but with mechs, like yeah. at least some of the characters. But anyway, yeah, so I, I need to get in on that. Um, I started playing Life is Strange. Yeah! <laughs> but I, I don't want to get too far into it. Actually, I wasn't playing it. Uh, my girlfriend was. Uh, she was super under the weather, had one of those like allergy colds that turns oh, into yeah. just like you wish you were dead yep. and needed something to distract her, but was still, <laughs> and I was like, hmm, perhaps life is strange. Yes. And it was, it, it just seemed, it just seemed freaking charming. Like so unbelievably sincere. Even the awkward writing yes. kind of worked for me. And the, it was like early Buffy kind of, where it's like, there's not a firm grasp on what the kids are saying these days, but there's an earnest effort yes. to like try to sound like that. Yes. Go fuck your selfie. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And the character five minutes later is like, yeah, sorry about that. But yeah, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah, it was, So teen. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. But it really does seem, honestly, here, like, I'm, uh, but watching it though, I'm like, holy crap. Somebody made like a coherent version of Donnie Darko. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is a movie I love, even though I know that it is like, I'm terrified to go back and revisit it because like that movie clicked so hard with me, like when I was yeah. 20. I, I had the same exact experience, like, 2004, I watched that movie, like, every other week for a little while, like, well, I just weirdly, I don't know why, breakup, but yeah. And somebody, like, brought it over one, like, summer afternoon, and yeah. I was like, oh, man, this movie gets me. Yeah. Like, you want to change the past, but it all goes wrong, and nothing really makes sense, and nobody gets you, so, yeah, I'm just going to watch this over oh, and over so again. Perfect. And, it was yeah. so perfect. It was so And, of course, then the edgy sense of humor try out for field hockey like there are so many things about it now that i'm kind of cringing at but like at that time yeah yeah it was it was perfect i give this, I, but anyway i get the same vibe from life is strange a little bit the same like um i guess i, I guess you'd call it magical realism right yeah totally uh, like it, an american northwestern yes. version of magical realism yes, yes totally <laughs> yeah so are we playing anything else? Like, I'm still playing Warhammer. Uh, I, I, you can check out my review on RPS. I'm probably going to revisit it one more time because I'm still, like, sussing out my thoughts on the strategy layer because I think it's a really interesting game and there's a lot to dig into. Uh, but I don't think I have too, too much to add to what I said last week. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> another game, take a drink that we never shut up about, but I, I've been playing a little bit more Witcher 3 to get ready for blood and wine, mm. and it's it's only just because I'm so excited. I don't think Did I've ever been the- excited for DLC like this. Well, this I'm still is the playing the regular game. DLC, so, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Blood and but wine the- is DLC, but it's like 30 hours. Like it's an entire new land. It's like oh, Skellige. It's like an, a new land. Oh, a whole- no. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes, I'm, exactly. I'm back in, baby. I'm back in. <laughs> Precisely. I've just been kind of going around, and um, like this is so nerdy but like going to every island in Skellige and seeing what every single question mark is on the I can't map. 
I can't I stop. Like this is this is actually one reason I think I've lost momentum with the game a little bit is that yeah. I think like see, I think the reason a lot of people stop playing The Witcher is it's actually possible to make that, make that game not necessarily not fun for yourself, but you can kill the pacing of that game. Oh, you can totally. absolutely strangle it. Yeah, uh, and I kind of have done that. I think because like every time I fire it up, I'm like, okay, well. I could advance all these main quests, but instead I'm going to like kill all these random monsters that I'm yep. probably over level for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I do think it's a problem, like, again, like that you can screw up the pacing of the game so badly that, or, or you can screw up the narrative arc of the game so badly that like Triss basically exits the game before you're even like a third of the way through. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, Triss is gone. Like, like, Triss and Geralt in my game are are donezo because yep. like I wasn't ready to commit because I literally never figured out like I have no like I I'd seen one scene between Geralt and um Yennefer. Yep. And I was like, okay, so I think I need to figure out like is this is, is that a marriage? Is it just this abusive like messed up like genie spell <laughs> that like brought these people together? Like what's going on? Uh but you like the the game is so not open ended, but you can you can so you can you can take it in such different directions and at different times and, and different pacing that like it, it can it can take on a really weird sluggish uh arc that I think is not necessarily if it's the game's fault, it's the game's fault because it gives players enough room to hang themselves. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that assessment. Like I I had started playing and my, my save game, like I, I started playing a month before it came out because it was, uh, I was doing guides for it actually. I was doing uh, guides for like every monster quest in the game. And I didn't end up doing one for literally every monster quest in the game. And this is, you know, for the vanilla game, like when it first came out a year yeah. and a half ago or whatever. Not, not even a year and a half ago. God, it was only really uh, just over a year ago, I think. Um, so I was ridiculously overpowered by the time I even really attempted any of the main quest stuff. Like I was already kind of like, running around the map, uh, you know, felling all the monsters with the sort of red skull over their heads, uh, not having any problem with it before I even really made it to even like the Baron. Like it was right. kind of ridiculous. Um, and it's, it's, it was one of those weird things where it's like, well, I had to play this way because I needed to, you know, capture footage for these guides and yes. like, you know, do all of this stuff. It was one of those things where it's like, well, I played it wrong because my job dictated that I had to play it wrong. Well, uh, <laughs> one of those, you know. Also, I do feel like the game kind of feels better if you're overleveled because yeah. Geralt should be the Terminator. Right, it's like true. he's he's a mutant who's been in three games. He's slain like every vicious monster in the world. So like, I've probably got like like five levels on like basically any place I should be. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Like any place I'm visiting, I'm probably five five levels ahead of where I should be. Uh, and what that basically means is like every fight is just like that first uh, fist fight that Jason Bourne gets into in the first movie with those cops. Yeah, where totally. it's like somebody's like, "Hey, screw you, Geralt," and I'm like, "Oh, it's on." And then like thirty <laughs> seconds later, like there's just severed heads flying through the air, like bodies are everywhere, and I literally don't know what just happened. Yeah. Like I just started doing stuff and seconds later, like everyone's exploded and it feels so good. Cause that's yeah. how, that's how Geralt should feel. Right. Well, Cause Geralt doesn't really like, like he cares about things. He cares about people in his life, but like he doesn't really get scared, you know, like in all the cutscenes, he's just like, well, 
gotta go kill a demon. You know, it's very... Do you very... have a problem with that? Because I sometimes see people like, like call him like a charisma void, and I'm not sure I feel that way. I don't have a problem with it in this context. I can, I, it's, a, it's a problem for me in like something like a Resident Evil where it's like, yeah, you should be really scared, dude. You know, and Chris Redfield just sort of looks mildly perturbed in a cutscene <laughs> where you're, you know, when you're <laughs> being yeah. eaten by something. Uh, but in this context, like, again, you're, you're supposed to be this ultimate badass who's seen just everything and killed everything. And like, it's just your job. Like, he's like a plumber, you know, he's just going yes. to various houses and cleaning up the works. And like, that's just, what happens to be his trade? What he really cares about is, you know, whichever lady you choose to date and, and you know, Siri and, and all this other stuff. Like, that's what he actually gives a shit about. Otherwise, it's just plumbing, you know? And, and I think it fits, honestly. I think it fits for this game. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, again, that's a valid criticism in, in something else. But eh, Geralt, you know, he's a pretty chill guy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so with that, we should probably move on to our weekend correspondence. We've got lots of missives to answer, yeah. uh, but first, uh, perhaps we should take a little break to check in with our sponsors. Danielle, I think I've done it. I've cracked the code to having a car in Boston. All I need to do is park just 20 miles outside the city, and I never have to worry about street cleaning. I just need to leave two hours early in case the tea breaks and also leave the city by 10 p.m. You know, Rob, that does not sound very convenient. But I like having a car when I go grocery shopping or when I need to grab anything that won't fit on the subway. Rob, for trips like that, it is so much cheaper and easier to use Zipcar. It's like all the best parts of owning a car in the city with none of the BS. Street cleaning is no longer your problem, and you never need to fight your neighbors to the death for a parking space again. Come on, isn't renting a car a huge pain? With Zipcar, it's super easy. You just go to joinzipcar.com slash weekend to sign up, and you get $25 of free driving credit. You never have to deal with lots of keys or upselling rental agencies or any of that stuff. All right, run that URL by me once again. Joinzipcar.com slash weekend, and you get $25 of free driving credit. Right. So thank you, Zipcar. And now we are moving right into our letters. Our first letter comes in from Andrew Duell. Andrew writes, During your discussion of the Americans two weekends ago, Rob used the phrase, people keep rudely suggesting other shows are good. My question is, how do you not rudely suggest other shows are good? Or at least not do it rudely? I consume a lot of media, and I'd like to have conversations about the media I consume. But most of those conversations end up being brief. You've got to watch this because my friends are content to enjoy watching their childhood comic book collections get recreated badly. Oof. Oof. <laughs> How do I help my friends catch up? Oh, man. The shade. Oh, man. Somebody, it sounds like somebody wants to help his friends get caught up onto the clue train. Oh, man. Uh, okay. So, first of all, first of all, I think I'm being taken out of context there because... I just think it's rude to suggest other shows are worth watching if you haven't watched The Americans. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, your first question is like, are you watching The Americans? And if not, that's when you tell them you should watch The Americans. <laughs> and only if someone is already watching The Americans can you then insist that another show is also worthy of their time, but not more worthy than The Americans. That, that is my, I think, that's, that's my fair. ethical position. Yeah, there you go. On, on, on TV <laughs> shows. Yeah. 
that's more than fair, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say, I have some perspective on this letter, uh, which is very funny to me. So I currently date someone who has really awesome taste in uh, movies and TV and music and, and games and all that other stuff. So I'm really lucky. But I will say this. My last three girlfriends had, uh, let's just say, a very different taste in things. Um, and, you know... I had to watch a whole lot of Grey's Anatomy. I had to watch a whole lot of, you know, terrible, terrible, awful things from, you know, not the good stuff from the early 90s, but like the, you know, Beverly Hills 90210 on Marathon. Oh, shit. I had to watch a whole lot oh, of Full man. House. A whole lot of Full House, which is not fun in any large quantities. Let me just tell you. Oh, no. Yeah, five minutes, you know, is fine Wait, for no, Full House has to be good. Because they brought it back. Yeah. They wouldn't they, have done that unless it was good, right? Unless it was really great. Yeah. Man, the the terrible, awful shit. And there was this terrible show. I'm sorry if you if you like it, people out there, but God, the really bad show that was like <sighs> this girl who died, but she didn't really die, and her friends, Dirty Little Liars or Pretty Little Liars or yeah, something like that. Which liars. is like, okay. okay, it has some merit on and some levels, but like they just kept like every other person is like the culprit of the week, and it just oh my, just good Christ, just the things I've had to watch, the things I have had to watch. <sighs> so don't, so don't, this. so don't use your relationship to force garbage on a loved one. Yes, and also That's- everybody is, you know, these women that I dated. Uh, you know, I probably don't look at them as kindly as I did at the time when I dated them, but like. Right. Everybody's got their shit that they like, right? And that's fine. And like, you know, you you, you can't like force but now you your can friends. Absolutely, be like, oh my god, those basic bitches. Yeah, I totally can. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I and I enjoy being in that position now for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that, that's part of moving on. It really right? is. Is like it, really finding like, oh. those nits and just picking <laughs> at them that you never like. All those things you grit your teeth at for like yeah. you know six months a year, like suddenly just giving into it. Like, man, that was screwed up. You can just judge. Person. Yeah, you can just judge away. Oh. From this position, you can judge all day. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, so to, to Andrew's point, so here's the thing. There's a, uh, there's another little bit of context. Um, Andrew has materialized <laughs> in every Twitter conversation I've ever had that has even been tangentially connectable. Not even tangentially related, but like that you could build a bridge from one tangent to a next to person of interest. Like it's oh. like the six degrees of person of interest. Okay. And he was absolutely right, though. Is the thing. Like Andrew, Andrew quite rudely insisted that person of interest was secretly a gem of the CVS like procedural lineup. And I just finished the first season and oh my God, everyone should be on this show. Like everyone, like everyone should be like, this thing is as good as, if not better than like elementary, for instance, which I think the world of. Wow. Uh, But no, this is, this is like, it's, it's a detective procedural, but actually it's a paranoid age of surveillance sci-fi. Oh my God. uh, Like cyberpunk detective series. I'm in it. I'm already interested. I'm already. Yeah. And like, The two leads, like the the knock, the knock I'll I'll put against it. No, I, the knock I'll put against it is like it's not the amazing exemplar of inclusivity that 
elementary often is where like oh. elementary has this incredibly diverse cast and yeah. then the, pe- the characters that pop up present this really like expansive view on human nature right so like there's like there's really non-judgmental like open-minded discussions of like polyamory mm. oh, uh, nice. stuff like that and it's just like and and nothing is othered in the series which is which is really really cool yeah that's great um a person of interest, I think, is a little more uh, is is definitely a little wider, but that's that's to an extent undercut by the fact that one of the leads is um, uh, Taraji uh, Taraji Henson, I think, mm-hmm. um, who who plays um, oh god, what's her name, the badass lady in Empire. Uh, I stopped oh, watching oh, oh, Empire. Oh, Cookie. Ago. Cookie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Totally different character in Person of Interest. <laughs> totally. But, yeah. But no, but the thing is, like, this is totally a. Um, it reminds me a little bit if you ever saw the lives of others. Um, I actually did not, but oh my god, I'll keep a, that like, in. That's the most ACLU. It's 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 this uh, <laughs> the lives of others. This amazing show uh, set in the waning days of uh, East Germany, basically. Oh wow! Like it's the late Cold War, and it's this uh, Stasi surveillance agent who sort of tumbles to a pretty huge conspiracy. Um, and it's, so it's a little bit like the conversation, uh, but from this East German perspective. Oh, wow. But it's it's really about this weird like intimacy that exists yeah. between like the sur- the surveillance and the surveyee, right? And what a lot of like person of interest is about is this weird like these guys are each week they are completely invading someone's life. And sort of like learning every nook and cranny of like who they love, who they hate, what their lives are. And these guys themselves have no lives to speak of, really. They're just complete ciphers. And so there's this weird like deep like sadness to every episode because like they're kind of just – they're kind of always just trapped in this role of just watching other people live. And that's all they get to do. Uh, But – it's just it's really well done and the like the action sequences are pretty first rate um the, there's there's a couple there's a couple episodes in that first season that are just unreal where it's like um you know your classic 310 to Yuma or uh, yeah. oh, like wow. 16 blocks setup where it's like you like trying to get someone out of a building being flooded with you know, with with bad dudes, basically, yeah. that turns into really tense, tense TV. So, uh, Andrew, like, in the end, you were on the side of the angels. Like, occasionally, <laughs> it's the weird thing, right? Like, evangelism is annoying, except sometimes you're going to get a convert. Sometimes and it's then right. it was okay, and then they'll yeah. thank you for being like, man, thanks for being an asshole, and, like, really relentlessly shoving that in my hands until I eventually read it. I'm really glad you did that. Yeah. Yeah, he's preaching the good word. I need to, I literally wrote these down as we were talking about them because I am depressed because I finally caught up with the American. I mean, obviously there's more episodes, but I was able to like mainline that every night, like literally three to four episodes every night for like a month. And then now I'm like, okay, I need something to fill that void. Watch watch Person of Interest because that is basically contemporaneous with with the Americans. And it is, uh, it's incredible. Uh, like it's it's legitimately a, a, a brilliant brilliant film, and then I would like 
Give it a few episodes. Okay. Uh, okay. Give because person of interest starts out, I think, is a little more. It starts out as a procedural, uh, and then it turns increasingly into a sci-fi show, which is oh, awesome. Really yeah. subtly and really, really well. So dive in. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> our next, um, our next email comes from Mister Behemoth. In response to your 8th April episode, I've never been entirely comfortable with the term walking simulator as a name for a genre. Obviously, it started as a pejorative label and is now used more affectionately, even ironically, by people who enjoy them. But at the same time, I feel that by using it, we are doing a disservice to the genre. Now that the label has been extended in common usage to include all kinds of narrative-driven games and experiences... Even when they rely on mechanics beyond traversal exploration, it seems even more pejorative to me. Hmm. What the genre represents is a game system that involves abstract ideas and soft skills rather than stats and reflexes, but it is a system nonetheless. The win state is reached when you can say you have a thorough understanding of the story, reached through an interrogative dialogue with the environment and artifacts you were given to explore. Detractors call the genre walking sim because they see little value in the aspects of the game other than traversal. If everyone keeps calling them that, it reinforces that view. Personally, I'm more likely to call these games narrative games or exploration games. A descriptor I like, but which doesn't trip off the tongue, is puzzle box or secret box from the Japanese Himitsu Bako boxes. This was coined by Electron Dance to signify the way we probe these games to reveal their secrets. My question for you is this. How can we better describe this genre? Do you think we should put more importance on using better vocabulary to help the genre find acceptance and lessen the divide between skill-driven and narrative-driven games? I enjoy hearing your thoughts. I really like the way that this person put this, actually. The idea of, you know, the soft skills rather than stats and reflexes. The idea that, yeah, it's still a system. It's still certainly interacting. Yeah, I'm, I'm teaching a game design class right now and, and talking to my students. The last lecture I gave was about sort of interaction because people were saying, oh, this isn't very interactive. They were actually talking about Portal. And I was like, uh, <laughs> you're interacting every Wait, time what? you press a button. Uh, they were talking about Portal, actually. And it, it's okay. They're students. They're still learning. But uh, <laughs> I was very much like everything is an interaction. Everything is a system. Even even the, the most sort of baseline things are still the computer or, you know, the systems as they're set up interacting with the player. So, yeah, things are a little deeper than we kind of give them credit for at times. And, uh, God, I really like the idea of a secret box. Like, I, I, I really do wish we could, we had the power to sort of make the nomenclature better. And I guess we can do that by talking about it on our podcast. But yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people don't use the best terms because it's the easier term is kind of what we've, we've had for a while and it's easy to just kind of fall back on something like that. The same way, you know, FPS games used to be called doom clones. Nobody really liked calling them doom clones really. And a lot of games weren't, they had nothing to do with doom. The movement was so different. Everything was very different about them, but like, it's kind of a lazy term. And, you know, I guess we just have to break out of it by, by being like, yes, we're going to have a conference about what we should call narrative games or exploration games. And we're going to call them secret box narrative games, you know? <laughs> yeah, but you say that and you say, well, the conference does decide it. And then I think like at the end of it, we're all going to publish papers and get tenure. Yes, um, exactly. Like, okay, so my, my <laughs> thoughts about this are a little more conflicted. Uh, first, I think people are adopting Walking Sim in part to rob it of its sting. Mm. Um, like, 
I think the term did originate very, very pejoratively to say like, well, what is, what, what's to this game, right? Where's the combat? Where's the, where's the fail state? It's not what's the, what's the success state? What, what's the fail state? Now I think in Behemoth's view here, uh, the fail state is you remain a fucking idiot <laughs> and you just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yep. nevertheless, like the, the question is, how does the game resist you, right? Like that, that a game is about imposing your will on a system and learning to master it. Uh, I, I, so the walking, the walking simulator was kind of comes from that perspective. And I think people have sort of appropriated it in part to be like, screw it. I am totally willing to engage with this game under these limitations, right? Like it yeah. doesn't have these other features you'll find in other games. I have no problem with that. It doesn't lessen the experience for me. I love walking simulators, you know, go to hell. Yeah. Reclaim I, so it, I, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't, because because you're going to see that get thrown around all the time. And I think there's some use in uh, using it, ironically enough, that eventually people can sort of, you know, even with a wink and a nod, maybe get beyond their preconceptions, which I think you absolutely see happen all the time, right? Yes. Like, yes. so often you'll find people encountering games like like Firewatch, like Gone Home or something, and being like, yeah, it's not usually my kind of thing, but weird, it kind of worked for me. But I liked it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, now, the other thing, I feel like I use this word, this phrase a little more in relation to uh, everyone's gone to the rapture. Mm. And I think my problem with everyone's gone, everybody's gone to the rapture is that I feel like that game was ultimately about traversal. Because I didn't find there was much to explore. It was a beautiful environment. But it felt like a really lavish diorama, but not a space that I could really interrogate that sure. effectively. And what happened as I interrogated it was usually disappointing. So I think I might have been guilty of using it a little pejoratively there because I, I did ultimately decide that I, I thought the game relied too much on traversal and and, and slowing that down and delaying gratification yeah. um but I, you know I, I i think the language we choose does matter um but at the same time like there's it's always a balance right like yeah. like how do you how do you strike the balance between communicating quickly effectively and concisely with people because ultimately that's what you want to do is use words that bear a shared meaning uh to to another another <laughs> participant in the conversation uh versus using a word that doesn't come freighted with other um, with other meanings, right? That, that doesn't come, that, that is not loaded. And I think this is a good example, right? And I think Behemoth covers the ground pretty well. I think there are reasons to say, like, we should probably find another term for these. I think narrative and exploration don't really work because I think most, most games I'm into are to some extent about one or the other or both. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I understand the impulse for another term. I also understand the impulse for sort of using it ironically. Um, ultimately, I think it's it's personal preference. Yeah. I'll buy that. I like that. Our next letter comes from Matt from Jersey. Not sure if Matt it means New Jersey or G Jersey in uh, England, but either way, cool. 
Uh, Danielle and Rob, are there any songs you associate with a specific game? For me, anytime I hear Ace of Spades, R.I.P. Lemmy, I immediately am brought back to the hours I put into Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Or something Danielle would appreciate whenever I hear Americana from The Offspring, I'm brought back to awesome runs in my days playing Crazy Taxi. What about you? Okay, I feel safe saying that Matt is from New Jersey now. Okay, I'm, yeah, I'm I feel pretty, I feel like I, that too. Yeah. I, I feel like Matt. Also, I, I like I don't know about I don't know too much about the UK, but I've never met someone from Jersey who's been like, yeah, I'm from Jersey. Like, yeah, that doesn't, same. That doesn't seem like the thing. Same, yeah, yeah. I I totally agree with that. I have so many of these, and I've been sort of trying to think of of you know the weirdest and best, and I have a couple. That I'll, I'll share, I suppose, uh, because I do this really, really hard, I guess. Or Like, I will always be associating things with uh, a whole bunch of different stimuli. I guess, it, you know, synesthesia stuff going on, I guess, in my brain. But uh, the original Gorillaz album, there's a song called Gravity. And I used to listen to that album, like, on repeat in, like, 2001, 2002, when I was playing Majora's Mask, actually. So there's a whole sequence in that game where you are... You know, it's a really weird game. It's my favorite Zelda game. That and sort of Wind Waker sort of are my favorite Zelda games. One is really happy. One is really kind of more contemplative and sad and weird. Uh, this is the weirder game. And you are a fish link and you have to kind of go into this cave with all these giant fish and get all these little fish eggs. And and uh, it's really bizarre and weird because everybody has kind of like a fish face and you're swimming around. It's this weird world and it's kind of a weird song like it's it's this kind of funky bizarre little not experimental by any means but you know kind of kind of bizarre for a, a, a pop song or a pop album about cartoon gorillas i suppose and it all kind of comes together for me in this funky downbeat sort of blue colored kind of mood and there's another one that's that's even stranger at least i think it is because the associations don't make any sense to me at all but i was um <laughs> It was actually right before I broke up with my my ex, and I was up all night playing the Batman Arkham game on PSP, believe it or not. the okay. It was Arkham something or other. It was actually a, a, a really good Metroidvania-style game, but with the Batman Arkham sort of art style and, and direction and so on and you so forth. You know things have gone off the rails when you're up <laughs> late at night. Like yep. into you know, into, the, into the late watches of the night on a PSP. Oh, you gotcha. I mean, I was reviewing it. So like I had to get it done for the next day. So I was up all night, literally all night. And I had just gone to Queer Games Con. Um, and I was in this huge, giant, like Madonna phase at that time. This is like three years ago. I've always liked Madonna. You know, I've always been like loved it and always associated it with like the gayest stuff like you know madonna mega mixes at, at clubs in the castro stuff like that and i had just gone to queer games con and i was feeling just super gay and i was just like i was just like blasting madonna's erotica album like her early 90s stuff like all night on repeat i just had that album on repeat yeah. so just just you know erotica was on and i'm playing this goofy 2d batman game there's nothing sexy about it it's just it was funny to me, like the vibe of that song and, and that album and that game and this whole weird thing I was in, it always, always kind of associates together for me. I have no idea how I make these bizarre connections in my brain, but they're, they're very, they stick, you know, if that makes yeah. sense. Uh, I think for me, there's a couple, there's a couple songs that jump out. Uh, one is Back in the New York Groove is always my GTA 5 jam. Nice. Uh, GTA 4 Jam. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and especially because, like, there were a couple moments where that ended up being on the radio at a couple pivotal moments. And you never know. The, the weird thing is, like, in GTA 4, 
the pivotal moments all play out to a script and they'll play out the same way. But then you usually have a long drive home to think about what just happened. Yeah. Which I think is one game one reason those those games resonate so strangely, even though they can be silly, is because they have this sort of built-in pacing mechanism that sort of enforces reflection on your character and your choices. Um and also that can that can mean awesome shit too, right? Like you can you can just done something epic, but uh, New York Groove ended up being something that popped onto the radio at a few key moments uh, for me in that game. And it always just, like, lifted my experience, right? Like, yeah. okay, well, Nico might have, like, lost someone he cared about, might have betrayed someone he shouldn't have. Uh, screw it. Uh, back in New York Groove, going back to my penthouse. <laughs> it's going to be sweet. Um, the other thing, this isn't, this wasn't game music. But I definitely had an album that I like. I basically the soundtrack for for me and Quake, uh, Quake Two in particular, was Smashing Pumpkins, oh, and perfect. in particular the uh, the airplane flies high. Um, nice uh, album, which starts with a pretty rocking cover of uh, Alice Cooper's Clones. Yeah, and I hear that song now. And immediately, like, I have, like, almost a physiological response, right? Like, I immediately, my shoulders hunch. Like, I just start wanting to act faster than the speed of thought. Because <laughs> that's that music we blasting through my headphones while I was just, like, circle strafing and jumping and, like, just killing all these demons and shit. And it was awesome. That's the one thing I actually kind of miss about, like this, like, this new Doom, right? Is I really wish I could get my 90s playlist... You know, my, like yes. back in rotation, yeah, and 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 kick it old school. But you know, that's 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 just a weird thing. I, I, the, I was on Games with Jobs this week, and uh, Corey Banks was talking about that exact that that exact aspect of Doom was that for him the sound the sound of Doom is really compressed, like MIDI files of like pop sure. songs. Yeah, and I totally get it. And for me, that you know, for for me, like I can't hear. Um, a lot of Smashing Pumpkins music. Not that I listen to a lot of it these days, but <laughs> sure. uh, like Disarm came on the radio the other day, and I couldn't place it until like oh, he started singing. Like I didn't recognize the opening to Disarm. Oh, That's how man. far removed. It's been I've a little gotten. while. It's true. It's yeah. been a little while. <laughs> but I can't hear this stuff without like sort of flashing back to like you know just. Blasting the shit out of someone with a nail gun, or you know, shotgunning them in the face. So yeah, that's uh, that's me and game music. Now it's time for us to talk about what we've been watching, reading, playing, listening to, experiencing in life. Rob, what is setting your world on fire right now? Well, I already told you about uh, a per person of interest, uh, so so I can spare you that again. <laughs> uh, so this week. I finally got around to watching uh, Sicario. Oh, interesting. Okay. Did you ever see this? I actually have not, but it has been on my list again, like everything else for ever since, you know, it came out. So I'm steadily turning into a huge like Emily Blunt fan, uh, especially nice. like as an action star, because I think she's really, really good in those roles, yeah. uh, actually. Uh, so Sicario feels like... The darker and okay, possibly dumber uh, sequel to Traffic. 
Okay. Uh, if you remember Traffic. I sure do. Um, I saw Traffic a bunch. I thought that movie was brilliant. Um, but Sicario is... I, I think it was well described by... Uh, I think it was Chris Ryan on Grantland. He said it was like the apocalypse now of the drug war. And I think that's okay. actually pretty fitting. Because I don't think it actually has much to say about the drug war. Uh, except in this really highly impressionistic and, and dubiously accurate sense. <laughs> sure. Uh, but it's just an incredibly powerful like piece of filmmaking, uh, I find. Like, it is... Uh, but, you know, basically the, the gist of it is that, uh, Emily Blunt's character is an FBI, like, hostage rescue, uh, team member who is recruited to this sort of black ops, uh, counter, uh, counter narco, uh, operation in northern Mexico. And, her guides for this are, uh, Josh Brolin, who just, has played a million things uh yeah. but probably best uh remembered from uh no country for old men yeah uh where he's he's the lead in that and then benicio del toro is kind of their um murky ambiguous uh specialist uh okay. brought in but like it it plays out like something like a cross between a Michael Mann film, which I am a complete sucker for. Like I understand their <laughs> their testosterone Latin, like you know, <laughs> they are ridiculous in in some ways. But it's okay. I'm, there's a place. There's always a place in time for that. Of course, yeah. you know. So I will always show up for that, and it's, it's so it's a little bit like Michael Mann uh, meets, let's say, um, Kubrick. Is oh, kind oh, of wow. how it feels. Okay, wow. Um, like it's got a really like the, the 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 directorial gaze is like extremely frosty and icy, but <laughs> it has this like eye for the visual and this sense for like violence that's really really unbelievable. Uh, so I mean, the entire movie for me is worth it for this sequence where they go down into a uh, Juarez to extract a high value target from a uh, Mexican state prison and they know they're getting ambushed. Uh, so it's just this like journey into enemy territory, part of this convoy and then trying to make it back across the clusterfuck that is the U S Mexico border. Uh, it's an incredibly tense and well made movie. Uh, it was a movie that I literally had no idea where it was going or even at times what it was really about, mm -hmm. uh, which I found refreshing, right? Like it was, I didn't know what, what the destination was and that was exciting to me. Yeah. That the sounds kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thing I'd say about the movie is that I think in the end, Emily Blunt ends up being kind of wasted mm. in part mm. because this is the weird thing, right? Her character is sort of meant to represent a certain definition of law and order. And the message of the movie ultimately is that there is no law and order in the drug war, right? That uh, it's it's absolutely like dog-eat-dog -dog chaos. Um, but what that also ends up doing is putting her in a position where her power, her agency is stripped away by the male characters who surround her. Mm. And ultimately, she's kind of broken by the experience, which is 
I'm I'm not I'm not sure it's the wrong decision for this film, but it's it's a little loaded, right? Like, yeah. like again, it's hard for me to say. Like, was the movie sexist, or was it just unfortunate that Emily Blunt's character ends up in a story where that kind of character can never get a satisfactory resolution? I don't really know, but the way it reads at times is, "Shut up, lady! These experienced grizzled men are going to tell you how the world really works." Yeah, which that's is frustrating. <laughs> it is a little frustrating, and I think ultimately the my 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 issue is that there's not a ton of pushback from Emily Blunt's character. Like she doesn't really get a voice at the end of the film, which bothered me a little bit, right? Because it's 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 all well and good to have like so so okay. So what 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 traffic does right is it sort of investigates every side of the drug war, sometimes a bit didactically. But people get their say, right? Yeah. Here's what it, here's what it looks like to a drug lord. Here's what it looks like to a corrupt police officer. Here's what it looks like to a family, um, and everyone sort of gets to say their piece. And you see how it looks from their perspective. In Sicario, um, Mexicans are basically cannon fodder, mm. uh, which bothers yeah. me a little bit. Uh, it's it's sort of like what happens in Black Hat, where there's this gun battle in like I think it's Indonesia. And, like, just, like, people are hitting the floor right and left in the background. But, hey, they're, they're background characters. They're not, they're not the white people. Right. Uh, so yeah. to hell with them. Sicario feels a little bit like that, uh, which, I, which I think hurts it, right? Like, I think the movie would be a lot more resonant if it did have uh, slightly more compassion for the bystanders in this story and yeah. maybe a little more respect for someone like Emily Blunt's character who would try to say there's a way to do this without compromising your values. Uh, that said, there's some, there's some great action sequences in this movie. And uh, if you've been dying for like a vintage, good menacing, like Benicio del Toro role. Oh, the sh our ship this has come in. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I, I think I will give that a shot, even even with the caveats. I I could see. I just love action movies. I really do. I just love when there's a lot of action going on. If I need to just put something on in the background, it's either horror or action, and it just you know something where a lot of shit is happening. I need to see it. Yeah, yeah. So what about you? What uh, what's what's on the docket for this weekend? Well, speaking of things that might be sexist and might not be, and it's hard to tell from week to week, I have been watching Game of Thrones again. <laughs> oh shit, me too. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. I, I am one episode like, behind, which I hear is pretty freaking critical. But other than that, yeah, it is. I won't spoil anything. I know we don't care about spoilers that much, but you know, it's yeah, whatever. Game. We of don't Thrones. need to be dicks. It really, we don't need to be dicks, and also you don't really need to even. I don't know who even cares. You know, it's like you care what's going on, but I feel like you with Game of Thrones, you it, you kind of watch it like you watch the NBA or something. Like you have your team, you have your people that you like, you root for them, and otherwise you you know you. It's like a sport. It's the sport of viewing. It's it's kind of weird and hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like this season is good again. Like Game of Thrones is good again. I think there were a lot of missteps in the last season, and I I come at Game of Thrones from a kind of weird perspective where. I was such a fan of the books and have read all of them at least once. Uh, big old dork. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I have some problems with some of the characters and some of the way that some of the characters have been presented, certainly. But I, I enjoy the books. I think they're a lot of fun to read in general. Um, and refused to watch the show for years and years and years because I, I was being that giant dork who's like, no, I like the way they look in my head. You know, the, <laughs> well, the real yeah, I don't, I don't think the issue stopped there, though. What's up? 
I wish the issue stopped there, though, man. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it totally get to the does. Books versus TV thing. I think we should we should do that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, this is not how I feel anymore, but this is sort yeah. of how it was for years, basically. And then again, you know, this ties back to I have a girlfriend who has wonderful taste in entertainment and was like, oh, we should we should give it a shot. You know, let's watch it. And I was like, oh, OK, great, fine. And around the fourth season, I think I started watching the show. And, you know, the first few episodes, I was like, that's not what they look like. And, the, you know, being a child, basically, but but still enjoying it and still saying, oh, that's cool. That's how they're doing this and, and sort of enjoying the differences and enjoying the similarities and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, at this point, uh, most of what's going on is completely new territory. And it's really cool to see how some of those directions that they went off into actually make a lot more sense in some ways than what happens in the books. And I'm appreciating that. And we're not spending a whole lot of time in Dorne with the just utter wasted opportunities anymore, which makes me sad. Well, um, because yeah. the Dorne stuff is actually pretty cool in the books, but it's like just such oh, a... I, I don't even think it's getting good in the books, though. I think even in the books, it is like... <laughs> Maybe it's cool if it wasn't introduced so freaking late and doesn't yeah, feel like yeah. such an obvious tangent. But like yeah. my issue with Dorn is that it has this really complicated political situation and they're bit players, right? Yeah, it's it like, just sucks. Like, yeah. You guys aren't going to do shit and we all know it. Yeah, that's definitely true. And it just, it's turned into a bag of farts and it's just not even that interesting anymore. Yeah. Um, but the things that are happening this season are exciting and they're actually really moving and shaking with a lot of sort of where the pieces are on the, on the great board, you know, that sort of thing. And this week, again, without spoiling anything, they actually, Game of Thrones is very, very, very guilty of, of sort of just using sexual violence as sort of like window dressing. Like, look at how shitty our world is. Rape, rape, rape. And more rape. And have some more rape on the side of your rape. And it's just sort of like, you know, I get it. You're painting a world that is very, very harsh towards women. It's very misogynist. It There's a lot of gross, bad shit that happens. I get it. But they have really gone kind of overboard with it at, at times. I well, think. and then tries to have it both ways, right? Yes. Like, oh, man, wasn't that brutal rape scene awful? Yeah. I mean, look at these sexy ladies. Look yep. at the, they're going to make look out with each other Look at the titties. Yeah. yeah. It totally, exactly. totally does that. And there's finally a scene that actually feels like the writers are beginning to interrogate some of the use of sexual violence in something of an intelligent way. Now, again, it's not like the focus of the episode. There's a lot of other really, you know, good and interesting stuff that's going on there. But it's like fucking finally you guys are at least acknowledging some of the shit that's going on sort of internally because that's that's the books get away with some of it. Not to say you get away with, with you know, sort of using rape as a as a tactic or, or, or a storytelling device. That's not really what I'm trying to say. But, but at least in the books, everyone has an interior life. And because everything kind of goes through, you know, the, the point of view of the character at the time, you at least get a sense of, 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 of actual suffering as opposed to sort of anguished faces and then cut away to the titties, basically. Um, but the show is actually finally starting to, it, it feels like it's growing up in certain regards. And I'm really, really liking that. And I don't know, I just feel like it's on track again. I feel like a lot of last season was a little off the rails. You know, there were some interesting things, and I'm probably going to watch every damn episode of this but, show no matter what. But Oh, but, but Danielle. <laughs> yeah. But is it actually good? Oh, I don't question. know. It's At back on point, track. I agree. Like, yeah. stuff is happening. The plot is advancing. But we both know, like, there's, there's, like, there's the story it's telling, and there's how it's telling it. And on that front... I'm just not like okay like like it drives me crazy yeah. that every episode now follows this template of start at the wall rotate one by one oh. through every it is literally it is exactly the way soap operas are constructed oh, like totally. exactly and 
it no longer feel it just feels like a bunch of stories happening that you're in there for the eventual payoff and moment to moment i'm not sure i feel like i'm being rewarded for being there right like okay like it's unfair to compare game of thrones right now to the americans but like in the americans like <laughs> yeah. almost every scene not only is the plot being advanced but you're learning more stuff about the characters who they are what drives them what are their choices they're making how are they developing yeah uh in Game of Thrones, man, like it feels like a lot of these characters are a little bit static, and now there are pieces being moved around a board. And that, like, it's, I'm with you. I'm watching the season. Yeah. But there is part of me that feels like one reason Game of Thrones, the books, were so arresting to start with is because they were so character driven. Yes. Yes. And it feels like. A, the original author, George R. R. Martin, completely lost his grip on the plot. <laughs> uh, and then the HBO series lost its grip on what made the story compelling in the first place. And I'm not sure that's been fixed. Now it's more like, look, you all want to know what, who's going to sit on the Iron Throne, right? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I also care about how we get there. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure this show is is quite satisfying on both fronts. Yeah, it's. I don't think you're wrong. And, and when I say it's good again, I think it's good for sort of, it's good for that sort of watching the NBA metaphor. Like it's good for watching the playoffs. Like that's how I feel mm, about this show. Mm, it is yeah. watching the playoffs playoff of season. a sports thing. Like you're only watching the highlights, right? You're not actually yeah. watching like, like it, w- it would be a hundred episodes a season if it were actually sort of filmed with the, with the sort of intensity that the Americans is, for example, like the intensity of those intimate <sighs> moments and those tiny yeah. things that happen. Um, I just imagine that though. And just- I'd be totally cool with a hundred episodes a season. Like I would watch the shit out of a song of ice and fire actually made into the game of Thrones, you know, sort of thing. But you're watching a highlight reel of yeah. these, of these, you know, characters that are really interesting and really well fleshed out in the books, at least at first. Yeah. It, things do go completely off the fucking rails. Oh man. Dance with dragons is it, anyway. Uh, we could talk about that at some other point, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah like, it, like it's, it's fun for me to watch this as a spectator sport. Like I said, like it's fun to watch the playoffs of these things. And I think it's more fun for me to do that because I read the books and because I kind of feel like a lot of, I care about these characters more because of, you know, spending hours and hours with them in my head as opposed to spending 10 seconds with them in a scene every other season. You know, especially Yara, whose real name is Asha, and it still annoys the shit out of me that they had to call her Yara. But it's okay, I'm a Wait, nerd. Why do they call her Yara? I, I guess her name was too similar to What's-Her-Face, Jon Snow's girlfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Well, that seems like bullshit. I, yeah, I think like, it was pretty stupid. But, yeah. I think for me, my frustration <laughs> watching the season is, A, like... It is unbelievable how Ramsey Bolton became like a cornerstone of the series. Yeah. Like, which doesn't happen in the books. Like, he's a major character, but it's more like he's there to ruin Theon's life. Right. And then he becomes a background character who's just this like endless well of horror stories. But really, it's increasingly like something other characters have to deal with. Here, it's like, oh, wait, are we seriously checking on Ramsey again? Who's Ramsey killing today? Yeah, it's just... And it's serious. Yeah, it's seriously snuff porn. <laughs> yeah, it really uh, is. Yeah, so, I mean, there's there's that. Um, but I'll tell you what I've enjoyed this season. Yeah. I don't feel remotely like it's ruining the books. 
The divergence yes. is so huge yes. between this and the books at this point that I'm like, these are not the same story. Like, you're kidding yourself if you think this is somehow spoiled. Like, the only thing that is maybe spoiling it is that, like, like uh, this is a spoiler, but come on. Like, really? Jon Snow comes back, which right. we all knew was going to happen because yep. he's been, like, tapped as the protagonist since, like, the first chapter. Yeah. So... I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, this is good. It's sort of going by the numbers and it's telling me that the things that I'm waiting for to get paid off in the books are still kind of safe. Like this, like I will still have stuff I'm looking forward to in the books to see how it all plays out. Yeah. There's a thing in the most recent episode that is very much, um, you know, the lore of the story or, or you know, kind of in, I'm positive it's going to also be at play in the books. A couple of things in the most recent episode. Yeah. And and it's exciting when it does kind of go there because you're like, okay, you know, you, we probably could have seen this. I mean, I don't think there's anything really shocking anymore, to be honest. Like, it, you know, if you're following this stuff, if you're reading the books, you, yeah. you kind of ha you have your theories and you know it's going to go one of three different ways. And it's kind of like, okay, that's fine. I, I get it. I want to I want to be there for the journey. Exactly like you're saying. Like, I care how we get there. That's important to me when I'm reading them. Um, but yeah, yeah, I completely agree with with it's not ruining the damn books the way it felt a little weird when I sort of jumped in and was just sort of yeah. like in the fourth season when things were kind of third book, fourth book, you know, tipping into Dance with Dragons a tiny bit and that sort of thing. I will say it is sort of fun to watch it as like a highlight reel version of the books. Like mm -hmm. it is cool that like the, you know, 500 pages of recipes and, and what people are eating and the songs and all that stuff. Like I enjoy flavor text. I really do. But there, there are definitely times where I'm like, okay, that's cool. Would totally love for this to kind of get moving a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, so like between the books and and the and the show, there's like a sweet spot of of the way of telling these stories, and and I agree that the sort of divergence is really helping at this point. <laughs> it's actually, yeah, I can enjoy them as two different entities now, much better than I was earlier. But yeah, Game of Thrones, it sure is a thing we all have to write about if we write about video games now. Um. <laughs> Get, anyway. Gotta get those culture clicks. Yeah, not, really. It's not about do. games anymore, Danielle. It's, it's about geek do. culture. It, it's kind of about geek culture. And uh, do you want to survive if you run a website in 2016? Well, you got to care about those Games of Thrones. <laughs> in the I mean, game I, of websites, you click or you die. I don't know. There's a joke there, and I don't think I quite got it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you really don't care enough to go back and find it's it. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So with that, I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by Chris Remo and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. If you are enjoying this show, please do go ahead and rate us on iTunes and please do tell a friend, call a friend, use a lifeline, whatever it is that you need to do. Uh, it helps us so, so much and it means the universe to us. So thank you for doing that and please do continue to do that if you enjoy the show. You can learn more about the show at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend. For Rob Zachney, I just want to throw, oh, yeah. throw in one thing. Please do. We didn't have a topic this week. And for me, it was wildly entertaining to record, entertaining to record, and I think it flowed pretty well. But like, I still view the show as a work in progress, and I'm curious, like, if 
if us just talking about random video games didn't work for you, let us know. Yes. But otherwise, like, I'm curious to see whether or not we should be finding a hook for every conversation every week or whether this format kind of works. Yeah, please let us know. Every every kind I feel like every time we go in, it's like we're still new to it, even though yeah. we're not technically new to it. So yeah, I, I want to make this show awesome. So yeah, please let us know. Is it working for you? Is it not working for you? Let us know. We're we're open to these things. We know you folks are really nice and we'll phrase it in a way that won't break our hearts. So <laughs> please do. <laughs> awesome. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends. No, but seriously, that, that did feel really good. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I like. I do worry our listeners will not follow us on another conversation about The Witcher, but like, <laughs> damn it, I love talking about that game. I know. I, I, I'm sorry. It's just one of the best games of the last three years. Yeah, it really fucking is in ways that I seriously didn't even fully appreciate, yeah. even even last year. Oh man, it's so fucking good.